0: Good morning. Today's scripture reading will be Psalms, chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. This can be found in the Pew Bible in front of you on page 521. I'll be reading from the New King James Version. Again, that is Psalms, chapter 78, verses 1 through 8. Give ear, O my people, to my law. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not hide them from their children, telling to the generation to come the praises of the Lord, and his strength and his wonderful works that he has done. For he has established a testimony in Jacob, and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers, that they should make them known to their children, that the generation to come might know them, the children who would be born, that they may arise and declare them to their children, that they may set their hope in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments. It may not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not set its heart aright and whose spirit was not faithful to God.
1: It is a privilege to be able to come and be with you at Mount Julian. And it's been, for me at least, a treat just to hear and sing with you and let Andrew lead. It's been a a great joy. When I began preaching in Germantown, my father wouldn't come, didn't come much. He was born in Alabama and moved to Michigan in the 50s, along with many other Southerners. So I was reared in a Southern home in the North. And if you've never lived in that situation, you don't know what I'm talking about. But there is a distinction... In a northern home and a southern home. And I was reared in a, a southern home in the north. But when I started preaching in Germantown, my father didn't, didn't come visit. And I asked him, why don't you come visit? He said, I just don't want to mess anything up for you. And I didn't know what he said. And I, meant. and I told him, I don't really understand that. But today, I understand that. I appreciate Andrew and Catherine. And I don't want to mess up anything that they're doing with you. You all are a tremendous church. They love you. And I know you love them. You have, a part, you have a great team working with you, with David and Andrew and Phil. I want to say more about them later, but I think you ought to really be thankful for the group of men that you have working with you. I don't know Bud. I'm sure he's a great part of that group as well. I'm glad to be able to talk about families. I can't think of a more important topic. I've already voted. I don't know if you've already voted. But those of us in West Tennessee are very concerned about families because family is such an integral part of our society. And I think families are going to affect what happens in the church. When we say family day, some people get very upset. You may not think that that's the case. Everyone loves family, but that's not always the case. Some people have had fractured families. Some people come from dysfunctional families. Some people, when we say, Father, our God is like a father, they're going to say, not my God. Because I didn't love my father. My father mistreated me. My father wasn't there. So we have to go back and rebuild. What is it that God is like? And what is the family? So today, I, I hope that you have your Bibles open. I want to look at two passages in particular. The first is Psalm 78. And then the second is in Proverbs chapter 22. But it's all based on what Paul wrote to the church at Ephesus in Ephesians chapter 6. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. For this is right. I want to just keep coming back to that because I think that's a recurring theme. Fathers are to bring up their children in the nurture and the admonition of the Lord. Children have a responsibility. Fathers have a responsibility. I think the implication is that mothers do too. But do you know that children can't obey any rules that the parents haven't given? Children obey your parents. What if they don't give any rules? What if they don't give any direction? What if they don't say anything about what's happening in the future? Does the, Bible, does the Bible even talk about that? I think that it does. In our case, and I've said it before, but I truly believe it, Andrew is such a much better son than I have been a father that it astounds me what the Lord can do when you just do what you can. Because each individual is going to make choices on their own about what their family is like. And I don't know what your family is like. I hope your family is not dysfunctional. One of my favorite painters of all time is Norman Rockwell. One of the reasons I like his paintings is because he tried to depict what home is like. He didn't limit himself to urban life. He didn't limit himself to rural life. He brought them together beautifully. But if you'll notice something about Rockwell's paintings, it was always his Image his viewpoint, his perspective. He said he could change it any way he wants to. If it's trouble, it's a soft trouble. It's a pleasant trouble. And I can handle trouble as long as I'm in charge, can't you? If we have problems at home, I can handle them as long as I'm the one that caused the problem, and I can change it. But here's the problem in most homes. We aren't in control. We don't feel like we're in control. What happens when the family... Fractures. What happens when the family is in trouble? And if you were to look at some families, you'd say, well, what kind of trouble can they come with? There's a, there are about eight different categories that cause problems for families. And right at the top of the list is finances, money. Families argue over money. Families split over money. I'm sure in Central or Middle Tennessee you don't have that problem. I'm just saying that in other parts of the world, people are arguing about money. And then their in-laws, then their hobbies, then their recreation, then jobs, religion. You could go on down the list and say, we argue about a lot of things. And in that group of things that we choose to argue about seems to be children, rearing children. Should we discipline the children? If we should, how are we going to agree? The psalmist gave us, I think, a beautiful picture of what a family is supposed to do. Did you catch it when it was read? Tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. The psalmist was saying, my hope and my trust and my faith is supposed to be in God, not in family. Not in family. That sounds odd. What my father said was always right. Or was it? If he said something that was different from the Bible, which am I going to choose to go with? Am I going to believe my father who loved me and cared for me? Or or am I going to believe the God who created me? And there's a question that we wrestle with. If you go back to the Bible and just try to count the number of successful families... How many could you count? I mean great families, functioning families. Abraham, what was his family like? Well, you read about Isaac, and there seemed to be a problem along the way with Ishmael. Where did Ishmael come from? That wasn't a good idea. Where did that come from? And Abraham had Isaac, and Isaac's personality was so different from Abraham. Have you ever gone back just to do a character study of what they were like as people? Just so different, so opposite. And then Esau and Jacob were different from their father. Just looking at them personality-wise. Which one was right? Where is the beautiful model that I'm supposed to follow? What about Moses? Moses had a sister and a brother. There was sibling rivalry in that family. Is that the family that I'm to look at? What about Noah? Noah wasn't the ideal father. What about David? David had a problem with women. He wasn't the ideal father, had sons that would turn against him. Look at Eli. Hophni and Phinehas were his sons, and yet they turned against the Lord, and Eli was a priest. How are we supposed to handle that? Where is the role model? And then Eli raised that boy named Samuel. Well, what about Samuel? What about his sons? He had two sons, Joel and Abijah. They turned against the Lord. It's not until we get to the New Testament, at least in my mind, that I find a beautiful example of a family. It happens in Acts chapter 21 with a man named Philip. Philip had four sons or four daughters who prophesied. And you read about those four daughters and I would ask the question, well, what did you do, Philip? What was so impressive about your home? And the truth is, we don't know anything about their home. If I'm looking for a role model, I don't know what Philip's rules in the household were. Do you? What was the curfew with those four girls? What was the dress code like for those four girls? What were their hobbies to be? How were they to speak to their parents? What was their vocabulary to be like? What were their manners like? And sometimes that's what we judge families by. When I was a student at Freed Hart, I came at the age of 17. I moved from Detroit to Henderson. That was quite a culture shock for me. To move where they only had one red light and one of those sides was upside down. It was odd. I couldn't figure that out. There was no place to eat in the town, but I went to class that first day. In fact, I had to get three haircuts to get in class. Back in the 70s, people wore their hair a little longer than they do today. So they kept telling me to get a haircut. After three haircuts, they finally let me in, but they told me that I was marginal. I appreciated that. I've been marginal most of my life. So when I went to class, I sat down and they started calling roll. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, sir. And I looked around and I said, are these guys fooling me? Yes, sir. No, sir. Where did that come from? In our hometown, if you just grunted appropriately, that was enough, sufficient. Just yes, yeah, yeah. yeah uh huh. But they were saying, yes, sir. No, sir. I thought, these people are really polite. After a while, I fell in line. Yes, sir. No, sir. Yes, ma'am. No, ma'am. But you know what I learned when I went back to the dorm. These same people that in the classroom were so polite had the lousiest attitude in the dorm and they were saying things about other people that should never have been said. And now I was really posed with a dilemma. What am I going to do? Do I act like I'm nice but inside I'm not nice? Or do I just try to be who I am wherever I am? I think I'd like to be nice and just be nice all the time. That is what my attempt to be it Life has been, but it just dawned on me that there are some people who go through life playing a game. And if you look at them, everything appears nice on the outside. But deep inside, there's something wrong. There's deep inside, there's a sentiment of hatred and of resentment. And they're playing out a part. And I don't want to do that. I don't want to be that kind of Christian. Jesus had a special word for that. He said, you are a hypocrite. You are an actor. You're playing a part. So this morning, I want to go back to the Bible and just look at some specific issues that deal with it. Would you turn to Proverbs chapter 22? The wise man was writing these Proverbs. And to me, it's interesting to note, these are Proverbs. These are principles. These are not laws. If you look at the book of Proverbs as a book of laws, you're going to have problems because you're going to say, it always works in this case. It never fails. That's not always true. Because in the book of Proverbs, at one point... The writer says, you are to answer a fool. And another point, he says, don't answer a fool. Well, what's the response? How do we deal with fools? The issue is sometimes you answer them, sometimes you don't. You have to look at the principle. What is happening here? It's not a law. Proverbs 22 begins by saying, a good name is to be more desired than great riches. Favor is better than silver and gold. The rich and the poor have a common bond. The Lord is maker of them all. The prudent sees the evil and hides himself, but the naive go on and are punished for it. The reward of humility and the fear of the Lord are riches, honor, and life. Thorns and snares are in the way of the perverse. He who guards himself will be far from them. Train up a child in the way he should go, and even when he is old, he'll not depart from it. The reason I like passing on that little, at least that that little phrase... Out of Proverbs 22 is, I have seen more guilt produced from that one verse than perhaps any other verse that I know of in the book of Proverbs. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he'll not depart from it. Families struggle with that issue. They say, well, if you just give them the proper training, they'll eventually come back. Well, that tells me then if if they don't receive the proper training, what is going to happen to them? I have seen families that were good families that had some children who chose to do what was right. some children who chose not to do what was right. Good families, good training, came up in the same family. It wasn't the fault of the parent. It was the fault of the child who chose to do what was wrong. This past week, I turned 50 years of age, 50 years old, a half a century old. Do you know, if I now choose to turn away from God, I can never blame my parents. My parents did what was right. They reared four boys and I think did a very good job. None of us are perfect, but all of us are trying to do what is right. It's not just because of the parents. It's because the individuals are trying to make right choices. And so you say, well, there's something. What does the passage say? Here's what I think it says, that we need to redefine successful families. I think we need to plant the seeds for the dreams and the aspirations of our children. I think that's what the Bible is talking about. We need to think about our children. What do they need? A good name, verse 1 says, is to be more desired than great riches. A good name. I'm not even thinking about reputation. I'm thinking about character. What my children think of me may not coincide with what everyone else thinks of me. But what I want to do, and the only thing I can control is my character. When I look in the mirror, I know what I'm trying to do. If I'm trying to do what is right, I can live with that. If people don't understand that, they'll just have to deal with that. But I'm trying to do what is right. I can't control what other people think about me, reputation-wise, but I can control what I am thinking. That's character. So a good name is to be more desired than great riches. How do you plant the the seeds for the dreams and aspirations of your children? I think you think about what you prize. What is it that that you prize, you admire? What is it that you hold dear if I were to pull out your day timer, I use a day timer, I'm older now. Everyone uses a Blackberry now. If I were to pull out your daytimer or your calendar, I could see what's important to you because I could see where you're spending your time. If I were to look at your checkbook with you, then I understand what's important to you because I know where your money is going. If I could look at what plans you have for the future, I know what's important to you because I know what you're spending time training yourself to do, what job you're preparing yourself for what you're doing with your children, or your grandchildren, what is it that you prize? My parents don't have a lot of money, but there's one thing they prize. It's a picture of all of their children and grandchildren. Now the family's up to 33. So when we go back in Thanksgiving, there'll be another picture made. But as people are added in, generally you get an infant's uh, picture and just place it in the same photograph because they want them to be included of all the things that they have, that family is important to them. What is it that you prize? I think that's something we pass on to our children. What is it that we praise in our conversation? We praise a lot of things. What is it? The person? Is it a product? Is it a profession? It is, is it the purpose? What goals are we planning the minds of our children? What is it that we think that's very important? I've been involved in Lads to Leaders for many years, and I know that those children that are involved in Lads to Leaders are doing the very best they can. Do you know the most important aspect of anyone involved with Lads to Leaders are the adults that are coming in and saying to them, good job, we appreciate what you're doing. If you have a young man that is leading singing or speaking or Doing anything publicly, you need to praise them. Having a daughter, I understand that there's another way that we need to praise our young ladies for doing what is right. When they're dressing right, why don't you accentuate the positive? Why don't we praise them into greatness? I really appreciate you. Really appreciate what you're doing. A young lady can come up and congratulate a young man. It'll make a world of difference in his life. And she needs to be thanked for doing what she is doing because she doesn't have to do that. So we're planning the dreams and aspirations of our children. What is it that we prize and what does we pray? What is it that we press? What is it that we're really pushing our children to do? Is it education? Is that what we're pressing? Is it you have to make A's in every grade? And I understand um, in every class, I understand the importance of doing well in school. Is that all there is to life? If you had to choose between school or serving the Lord, which would it be? I probably was stunted in life because on Wednesday night we went to church. It didn't matter if there was basketball practice or baseball practice. Didn't make make a difference with my father. We're going to church. So I had to get out of practice early. I probably could have been a star. <laughs> no no chance. But had that, I probably stunted. Andrew Andrew could have been an Eagle Scout. But you know, I was a den mother for a while. Until I learned that they took these trips every Saturday night until Sunday afternoon. I said, Andrew, we're not doing that. We've got church Sunday morning. And so we just can't do that. So at some point, forced him to get it. I probably stunted your growth. I'm sorry. You could have been so well. Education, what is it that we press? I think we need to think about that. Sports or physical health or is it church? In Luke chapter 2, verse 52, Jesus increased in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. There was that fourfold growth. Intellectual, spiritual, uh, social, and moral, all of those together, God was God was preparing him. I think that is a balanced approach, a balanced approach to life. What is it that we press? We're doing that as parents. Here's the second thought. We're not only planting the seed for the dreams and aspirations for our children. We are actually cultivating the soil to enhance growth. Training, train up a child in ways you go. Training is not always negative. Training is positive. We're interested in families. We want to have a strong family, not just physical family, but a spiritual family. So what we need to be is sufficiently aware of the needs of the child. The text says, train up a child in the way he should go, literally, according to his way. That doesn't mean that he's doing it not the way I want him to go because I missed out when I was younger, And I want to make sure he doesn't miss out on what I missed out when I was younger, but looking at the child himself or herself and saying, what is the bent? Where is his interest? And do you know children can have something to say about that? When Andrew was born, I hate to keep telling stories about Andrew. I'm sorry, Andrew, but here you are. My idea was always to call him Andy. I thought Andy was a great shortstop's name, Andy Phillips. I think there's even now a professional player called Andy Phillips. But I made the mistake of not doing that quickly enough. So it was just Andrew, Andrew. When he got old enough, I started calling him Andy. He said, my name's Andrew. I said, but I want to call you Andy. He said, my name is Andrew. I said, okay, Andrew, we'll go with that. And we just decided to go with that because what is his bent? He, he had ideas of his own. What is a child trained to do? Some, some children are born athletes. Some, some children are not born athletes. Some children are born to study. Some are not. What is your bent? What is the bent of the the child? I think that's the focal point of the parents. I'm so glad I didn't have that kind of pressure when I was growing up. I didn't grow up with someone saying, I hope you're a preacher someday. You need to be a preacher. I never did have that kind of pressure. I have three brothers. One works at Ford. One works at Chrysler. One works at General Motors. If I were to call my father today and say, I think I'm going to get out of preaching His only concern was, you're still going to be faithful, aren't you? You know I like that, because it's my choice. I want to preach. I want to teach. It's not something that someone's making me do. It's something that I choose to do. I want to do it for the Lord. I think we need to understand sometimes the needs of the child. We need to be strong enough to discipline. At some point, say, I am going to make the stand. I'm going to try to discipline. And sometimes that's difficult. The Hebrew writer spoke of discipline. What is it that discipline does? It brings respect, he says, in Hebrews chapter 12. Individuals respect those who are disciplining them. We respected our fathers because they disciplined us. He goes on to say that they did what seemed best to them. They did the very best they could do as fathers. And that's really all you can do. They did it for our good, not for their good. They were doing it so they could build us up and not so that they could make themselves feel good. And they did it so that it would yield the perfect fruit of righteousness. There was a, g- a goal that was there in Hebrews chapter 12. So I like thinking about that. Strong enough to discipline. And it takes a great deal of strength on the part of parents to discipline. But go back to that text. It's also wise enough to know that children need to have spiritual growth as well. I don't know what it's going to be like to be in heaven. But can you imagine just from what you know about the Bible, how beautiful it's going to be? How beautiful it will be. You read the latter part, the book of Revelation, and you see John's vision, or at least as he's trying to express it. It would be a beautiful place. He tries to describe the walls, the foundation walls, all those very different multicolored stones, precious stones. How beautiful it would be to be in the presence of God, to see the angels. To see Jesus Christ, to be able to look up the Apostle Paul, stand in line to talk with Philip, all of those individuals that we've studied about all of our lives. Can you imagine what it would be like if you didn't have your children who chose not to be there? Or worse, if you didn't encourage them to come? I want to go to heaven. I want my family to go to heaven. I want my church family to go to heaven. I mentioned several times at Germantown, won't it be great, I think there will be a section at Germantown where we'll all look back and we'll say, don't you remember, remember, uh, remember those rough times we were going through and aren't you glad we stayed together? Aren't you glad there were times of difficulty but we didn't give up? Instead of pulling away, we pulled together and all those problems that we thought were insurmountable, isn't it interesting how God seemed to smooth that out? I think it works with physical families, I think it works with spiritual families. There's something else that we need to understand from Proverbs 22. We need to understand that we either reap a harvest or we recognize a reality. Difficulties come to all of us. Families have difficulties. And you are going to make mistakes. If you're in a family, you are going to make a mistake. And I'm glad I didn't come up in a perfect family. I'm glad I came up in a family that was trying to be faithful and learning on the curve. I mean, they were really trying to do it. One Sunday morning after church, we came home. And this is when I was very young because I was really a Detroit Tiger fan. Just really, I'm still a fan. But at that time, they were going to play on television. We came in from church. My mother said, go downstairs, get some potatoes, bring them up. I'll start supper, start lunch. I ran quickly down, got those potatoes, brought them up, and then stretched out in front of the television ready to watch baseball. My father didn't know that I had gotten the potatoes. He came in, and here it heard my mother tell me what to do, and he saw me stretched out in front of the television, and he was a disciplinarian. He pulled off the belt and just started disciplining. We would call it a whipping. I was getting a good one, too. And he always did what he always did. He would stop midway and say, you know why you're getting this, don't you? Well, he was spanking me, and he said, you know why you're getting this, don't you? And I said, no, no. And he said, you didn't go get those potatoes. And he, I said, I got the potatoes. They're right there. And then he stopped, and he saw that he was wrong. He put his belt back on. He said, well, you were warming up for a good one anyway. And he put it back <laughs> at the top. And it was true. I deserved so many more than I got. But that was the way he was dealing. Was he a perfect father? No. Was he trying to do what was right? Yes, he was trying to do what was right. I told that story, and he heard it on a tape. I didn't know he was listening to the tapes from home. And I told that story. And it was about five years ago. We went off on a drive together. My father's now 78. He said... I want to tell you, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for whipping. I said, Dad, you don't understand. I deserved so. And I didn't want to tell him what I had done because he'd gotten mad again. So I just said, there were so many other times, but we're going to make mistakes. Parents make mistakes. Parents should be wise enough to say, I'm sorry. I did. Th- that was wrong. I'll do better next time. Children make mistakes. They ought to be encouraged to say, I'm sorry. I'll do better next time. But we need to either understand we reap the rewards Or we discover the realities, and the reality is sometimes that sometimes people make mistakes. Training is individualized, and I think that's what's meant in verse 6. Train up that child in the way he should go. Our training is individualized. We have two children, Andrew and Beth, and their personalities are so different. Andrew has always been very sensitive. I learned that quickly. And not as quickly as I should have. But I did learn it. I could, I could say to Andrew when he was growing up, Andrew, I am so, so, so disappointed in you. And I think I could bring him to tears. I really had to be careful because I have a tendency to say things and think about it later. So I said, Andrew, I'm, I'm so disappointed. I, could, I think he could cry. When my daughter came along, I could say, Beth, I thought it worked. Beth, I'm just so, so disappointed in you. Her response is, ah, you'll get over it and move on. Just a different personality. Same family, just two distinct personalities. And maybe you have that. If you have two or three children, you have different personalities. My youngest brother is very sensitive. My oldest brother is not. My oldest brother said something to my younger brother, and he just went into tears. And my older brother just angered him. What are you crying for? Why don't you come back at me? Why don't you say something? He just didn't understand. I think we need to understand our children, find out what they need and really work on them to try to help them to be all that they can be. But children have these unique gifts. Aren't you glad that God never did expect us to be perfect? He expected us to be faithful. And there's a difference. I don't have to be perfect in order to be faithful. I want to strive for perfection. But if I'm going to be so discouraged by one mistake, I'll never do anything you get up here to lead singing, you just try it sometime. Just do something. Teach a Bible class. You do anything that you've never done. Step out of your comfort zone and you just try it. Someone is going to criticize you. Someone is going to tell you how it could be done better. They have more training, more expertise, whatever it is. Someone is going to encourage you. Well, that may either encourage you or it may discourage you. I've always been one that criticism didn't seem to bother me because I lived with that. That was with three brothers. You live with that. You better... You better find out something that works. Yeah, it looks like you can't play second base. Well, just give me that glove. I'll just show you I can play. That always motivated me. But other people, it would discourage. So there's something about understanding that God doesn't want perfection. He wants faithfulness in families. I can't think of a more important topic for the church than families. Because as we rear our families, we are producing individuals who will become leaders in the church. This morning, I don't want to ask you if you're a perfect Christian. I want to ask you, are you a faithful Christian? I don't want to ask you if you've handled all the problems in life and nothing seems to be an issue with you. I want to ask you, have you turned it over to the Lord? Have you looked to the Lord for your guidance? Have you been passing that on to your children? God's generation chain starts, with a father teaching a child. You say, well, I don't have a good family. Why don't you start right now in making a good family? You can be a part of a better family by simply turning your life over to the Lord. This morning, if you haven't been baptized for the remission of your sins, or if you are a baptized believer and you need the prayers of this church, we're singing an invitation song and we're singing for you.